Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reinsurance Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Lee. And I'm the much more smartly dressed Ben Rose. I feel vastly underdressed. He's wearing a collared shirt, if for those who are not watching on YouTube, which you just should probably just go get the full video. Yeah, as long as the lights aren't making it slightly more see-through than <laughs> I wanted it to be. But welcome back. Excited to be in yeah. the CDA. I, again, the product of prior meetings being a bit smarter than I intended to be, or are normally more relaxed reinsurance. You mean to say we're not full-time podcasters? We have other meetings we have to attend during the week? Not yet. We are working on as many spin-off ideas as we can. Yeah, exactly. The reinsurance podcast after dark, the reinsurance podcast before dark, the reinsurance podcast during dark, mm. and all of the day variants there. <laughs> we spent uh, 20 minutes talking about our favorite omelet places in the city before this, so we could even have a breakfast version of this whole of this whole uh, contraption. Hoxton is the place to be, <laughs> just saying. Um, but today we're going to dive in and talk about everybody's favorite client, the client, <laughs> the the seated re-team. So, and, and more specifically talking about kind of what are the breadth and depth of challenges that this team faces, you know, throughout the year and, and how they're sort of leaning into technology a little bit more to address those. But I thought to kick us off, it might be helpful to give an overview of kind of what does a seated re-team look like? Where do they sit in an organization for those listeners who aren't as familiar with working with that specific group? Absolutely. And, and I think probably as well, this is a well-timed episode just given the world around us mm. right now and how being a seated re-team has changed in terms of perhaps previously more a business as usual, get the reinsurance bought that we normally buy into a, oh, you know, yeah, hopefully we can actually get the reinsurance that we normally get. Yeah. Uh, so worth us spending a bit of time talking about macro trends as well. Mm -hmm. So where should we start? Let's start with like um, what that what this group looks like. So as a department, seated re is usually relatively small compared to like an accounting function or a claims function. These like massive teams, even the underwriting teams, right? Um, so it's usually a relatively small business unit, but tasked with arguably one of the most important functions of the business as a whole, which is securing the reinsurance sort of oftentimes worldwide um, for their organization. And we've had some, I mean, we're going to mix and match vocab a bit here. So mm -hmm. outwards teams, seeded re-teams, reinsurance buying teams, I, probably variations beyond that that we haven't thought of. I, if anybody, by the way, can figure out the difference between active and passive reinsurance in Europe, that's quite a funny one that I've seen both ways around now. I but side side topic. No help from the side yeah. of the table. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, typically this team has to, as as they've said to us many times, be everyone's best friend around the organization because at the moment they have to do a lot of bothering people. I step one, you know, getting the data ready to go out to market for your reinsurance purchase means running around the organization to people from all walks of reinsurance life, you know, and insurance life. Firstly, if you want to get premium estimates, you've got to go to the underwriters uh, for every line of business that you're going to buy for and say, how much premium do you think you're going to write for this book next year? Yeah. You've got to go to the actuaries and say, can you tell me about the rate changes affecting this portfolio? Because our reinsurers want to know. The claims team, how are the losses developing in this given portfolio? I, and IT often heavily involved as well. We want to get a full cut of the latest Bordereau for this portfolio. We need these fields, these columns. I, 
old and and typically that's the first visit of many yep. when they go back and find that there's extra bits that they need to uh, keep people in the loop. When I think that starts us off really nicely with problem number one is you need all of these points of data, but you actually don't have direct access to most of it, right? There's yeah. this huge reliance. And I think if we anyone looks at sort of their day and the amount of work you're trying to achieve, but recognizing that you're, de you're dependent on someone else for all of it, like how fundamentally painful that that is when you're trying to do your tasks, right? Um, so you're right. They need data from essentially every other business unit, and they have to go around and sort of try to build enough of a relationship where their time-sensitive thing becomes the top priority for that person in the IT team or the claims team who has other stuff they're doing that day as well. But you're trying to sort of be their best friends, make sure that they'll prioritize you getting the newest data cut so you can crack on with your day. Yeah, exactly. Indeed. Uh, now I'm sort of stuck now thinking about uh, one of one of the many superseded memes this <laughs> podcast memes that I got out. I think this was one of Tom's. I uh, had a bit of an internal contest on these a while back, but I the setting is I think like a random Nickelodeon cartoon. I uh, but it's a character pointing at like a pedestal for a trophy. Yeah, and saying this is where I'd put last year's premium estimates with a big smile. But then switching to frame two and absolute distress and dismay because if only I knew where they were. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that, that is the funny part because it's not their value add. It's not, you know, number one priority or skill set that you look for. Uh, obviously, it's as a soft skill required to be very good at managing all these relationships and not upsetting any of your data sources. Mm -hmm. uh, but in order for a CAD team to start doing the job they want to do, Step one is finding the data that they're, they're going to need to pitch their portfolio. Uh, because I guess that big step two really is getting together a, a submission pack that they're willing to stake the, the reinsurance opportunity on. I, there is no other source which better portrays to an underwriter, this is why you should reinsure us, yeah. than the submission pack. Yeah, Typically well, at the moment is a bit of a interesting uh, format that comes in there isn't it yeah yeah well and before we even go to to that step i think there's a step that sits just before that where once you get the data together you can go to your broker and sort of look at what is happening with this book of business is it moving in ways we didn't expect are we are we trying to calibrate or change a thing that didn't work previously or is it performing better than expected and using that data as a starting point with your broker to identify what should we be buying should we be getting a more cover? We've got loads more exposure in this class. Should we buy a top-up cover or secondary um, cover in those areas? Should we get? Um, should we buy uh, lower down deductibles because we think there's going to be a, a higher frequency in certain areas? Like all of that has to start with getting that data in order. So, and then you're right. Once the broker and their and their client, or the seedant and their client, seedant and their broker. <laughs> You can tell what time of day it is in London at this point. Um, once the scene and, and the, the broker, the week as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, once the scene and the broker come together and get that data pack sort of presented, then you're exactly right. It goes to the reinsurer, um, but it will look different every time. And then the reinsurer goes through this whole process. And so what you just described there, I think, is worth pausing on because you've described something which I think happens in theory 80% of the time, but yeah. in practice only 20% of the time. Mm. Um, by which I mean theory and practice, I guess. Only a, one in five of these wishes ends up coming to fruition in, yeah. in actual sort of change to the prior year's deal. 
typically what we see in the market is a bit of I this is what we bought last year we'd love to look at that and check that it actually still makes sense for us to buy that exact same treaty or group of yeah. treaties again I'm speculating but without any evidence I think that this should be changed these limits should be moved or the, these you know attachment points we should play around with these coverages we should try and push for xyz but by the time they get through that step one of actually getting all the data together being able to compare it to the year before being able to get quotes on different options and all sorts of things yeah. it's already getting a bit closer to the line and collectively brokers and antecedents have to make a call and say you know what folks we're a bit later to market than we wanted to be so it might be safer to just go with what yeah. we bought last year yeah you know that's what the, the markets are expecting and they won't want to have to quote on all these other options now that it's you know december already yeah. uh, etc so yeah. yeah no you're exactly right the the framework i laid out is very much the aspirational aspirin yeah. aspirational position because you're right it's going oh here's the we finally got the data together oh there's a lot more policies sitting in these buckets which means our fourth layer is going to be a lot more expensive this year and and that's kind of it. And we talk about um, risk-adjusted rate and, and these sorts of things because we're kind of going, well, it's the exact same structure we had last year, but the underlying book has evolved quite a lot. So therefore, we're going to price it accordingly. But what we should be doing is if we can get the data piece done sooner and that seated re-team is more capable to, to do that work, um, you'll have more time to evaluate. Is the, the expiring structure the exact best thing for us to do? Or do minor, you know, minor tweaks and refinements are they warranted? Yeah, absolutely. And anyone who's watching the video will also be seeing my eyes going at this point because we're in the hilarious London Bridge studio with the optical illusion behind Jared's head. <laughs> I, so I will try and stay focused <laughs> and, and not collapse with a, a seizure. But anyway, on on the on the topic of collapsing with seizures. The reinsurance market, as we mentioned earlier, has changed quite a bit recently. So actually, for the first time in a very long time, instead of continually knocking off uh, the price each year and trying to push back on on terms, etc., as the market continued to soften, uh, we've seen for the first time over the last year or two now, uh, the market hardening mm -hmm. and actually causing seedant stress about, as buyers, what they will or will not be able to get covered. Yeah. I, and in some cases, it's not even a, a question of being able to afford price increases. It's sometimes not even an option. You know, we've, we've seen some really big seedants have to drop layers altogether that just didn't make economic sense to buy anymore, mm -hmm. even though they were layers that they've been buying for years and years. Uh, you look at the way that Florida is recalibrated, for example, as, as one major market uh, there. But pretty much market-wide, uh, we've seen a, a serious adjustment in response to uh, the war in Ukraine, the pandemic, uh, inflation and interest rates, all these sort of macro issues combining to mean that, uh, along with climate change as well, should should have mentioned, I mean that from a reinsurer's standpoint, they're getting challenged to say, you know, are you really pricing in for all of these much riskier conditions and uncertainties about the world ahead? Uh, and and as such, we're seeing this huge uplift uh, in, in pricing for reinsurance in general. Yeah. Well, I think that might bring us in nicely to then sort of one of the big second or third biggest challenges that they face is trying to take the sort of relatively, we can call it static because it's the same sort of points of data every year, um, but then apply on top of that a lens of inflation, a lens of macroeconomic trends, a lens of geographical upheaval and political unrest in places. 
and try to apply some element of calibration there, which when you're looking, and the impact of those things can be dramatic, right? When you look at students who are spending hundreds of millions of pounds on premium or more a year, small calibrations can be the tune of tens, if not hundreds more millions in premium. So the, the cost is sizable and they're trying to then work within the budget that they've agreed with the board and, and everything else, so how much they're going to spend on the reinsurance alongside what they're trying to make sure they're protected against the sort of one in 150, one in 200 year, one in 500 year sort of lost scenarios, ensure they got balance sheet protection mm -hmm. for all those things. So it's actually really quite a complex little business unit that sits within these organizations that's trying to do all this at once. Absolutely. And I, I think it was interesting you said there about also budget. I That seems to be quite varied in terms of how this is approached, you know, in, in terms of the uh, elasticity of, of demand, I guess, when it comes to reinsurance buying. And, and historically, if you could get more with your budget, in some cases, you're let loose to do so, I, which has the opposite effect, that if you don't have I, you know, room in your budget, then you mm. buy less reinsurance. We've seen people start turning more towards sort of the wider capital markets using uh, things like cap bonds, things like Vestu to get deals placed uh, outside of the traditional equity, you know, reinsurance balance sheet model. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, I think, very interesting as a sign of these seeded teams who really are constrained in terms of how much budget they can get and how much they can actually buy with that budget. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a lot of conversations happening at the moment about getting an uplift to what they'd normally be allocated mm -hmm. uh, from from the management. Indeed, I think we saw uh, not that long ago uh, Patrick Tin and at Lloyd's commenting on sort of outwards reinsurance requirements and, and making sure that Lloyd's wasn't going big on the inward side, seeing reinsurance rates go up excitedly, but going small on the outward side where actually they probably should be buying more themselves yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, and getting that balance is is tricky, right? And there's everyone will evaluate what success looks like, um, and we'll talk about that um, in future episodes, I think. But it's 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 just like personal insurance and things, where it's how do you determine and evaluate the success of portfolios? It's it should be there when you need it, but it shouldn't you shouldn't be spending huge amounts if it doesn't come to fruition. You don't need it you know, in case of recovering losses and things. Um, but so striking that balance in this ever-changing environment of all these um, evolving risks is, is not an easy task. So I think what we're basically saying is buying reinsurance is quite hard. <laughs> we are saying that. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and so in aid of this, actually, Cordy's suggested this mystical game for us to attempt. Yeah, it should be quite fun. Can you remember how it, how it works? <clears throat> so the the idea of this game is we're going to bounce back and forth challenges that a seated re team will face. For example, I'll use a really easy one: How much premium did we write in motor last year? So framed as a question. Framed as a question. Um, the other person then mm -hmm. adds a, another question. So we're not answering the question; we're just sort of raising the questions. Um, and then to be related, is it like a no, Cody's saying no. No, it just be completely random. Yeah. So um, the other person's participation is is purely to switch it back to you as quickly as possible. Correct. To inspire your next question. Yeah, yeah. And then the winner of this game is the one who 
always able to think another challenge the seated degree team faces and the loser is the first person who kind of gets properly they've run out of things that they think they struggle with uh, reinsurance podcast listeners another game you can play along with at home <laughs> time to be excited so this this could go one of two ways there's there's a certainly a scenario in which case we spend the next two and a half hours talking about various challenges seated degree teams face hopefully for the listeners we we struggle a little bit at some point yeah. later on but I'll oh, pass it over to you to I'll, kick it off. See what happens. Yeah. I okay. What should we do? And what's the time limit here? What what counts as a too long a hesitation? Five seconds. Okay. Three three seconds. Okay. Cool. We'll just look at Cordy because yeah. Cordy will raise his arm or something. He's he's equipped with a flare gun in the corner, so he will shoot that off once we've. Are we playing more than one round, or is it like sudden death and that's it? We'll play one round this day. Sudden, sudden death. death. Just just a single round. Of, oh goodness me. Yeah. Pressure. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> is the book getting heavier or lighter? Are we overexposed to a specific geography? Yeah, that one pre-planned. <laughs> uh, should we keep the same limits on this program? Do we have enough diversification on our reinsurance panel? Where are, where are the premium estimates from last year? <laughs> are we overexposed to a certain client after that merger? Are we overexposed to a certain reinsurer after that merger? Are we overexposed to the top three reinsurance brokers? I, how big is our portfolio in Florida? The head of the CDR teams just left, but we don't know how to do the data. That's not a very good one. Is it a question? I get <laughs> upwards inflection. Half, <laughs> half last point for me on that one. I. How do we best manage buying reinsurance across a globally distributed set of portfolios? What is the net position with a reinsurer between our account premiums paid and claims paid? Why can't we get access to the data ourselves directly? Why does it have to go through IT? <laughs> Where is my password? <laughs> um, is there a better way to exchange reinsurance data other than zip folders filled with spreadsheets? <laughs> I think you've won. Oh. <laughs> I have some other ones as well that are just that was, purely related to my character. It got a bit trickier than I was thinking once you've... Yeah. What were the other ones you had in mind? Do I need to go to an optician's? <laughs> have I been staring at these stacked policies for too long? I, another health-related concerns about poor yeah. reinsurance practitioners having to do things manually yeah. in Excel. Yeah, uh, so it's, it's more carpal tunnel and eye strain, not not gout, which is their counterparts in the market. I enjoyed another recent <laughs> post by, uh, not trying to plug this, it's just I do enjoy following Superseed on on LinkedIn and stuff, but mm. the, did you see the copy-paste keyboard? Yeah. I think it was probably cool you found this, I'm guessing. But yeah, yeah, that was quite cool. It, it's... I, want, I want one for no reason. <laughs> um, but it's one of those things, we, when we go back to um, the seated reteam, and kind of the work that that they're doing as they as they sort of try to bring this all together. One of the really hard things that they have is when data sort of sits across various different systems, and the need to then in, ingest it, and then as you sort of started copying, pasting it, and organizing it into one singular point of reference because it's coming from myriad sources, and and they've got the first pass of it, but they miss some things to so go back to the IT team to get the sort of updated versions. They've made a bunch of revisions and, and tweaks and mm -hmm. they've found stacking policies in the first bit cut of data. But now they got this new 20,000 policies that they've just been given as well that mm -hmm. 
they can't start from scratch. They want to sort of do that and then append it to the original things. Like, all of these kind of things just sort of make it a bit painful at times. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's a I always like the verb straddling. Mm. I don't know, not in general, not just like of all the verbs. <laughs> it's not just because you're daily life. L- practicing riding a horse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which may or may not be true. Never. Um, <laughs> the uh, this idea is the sort of as a cedar tree function, you do need to rise above it all and try and sort of like grab all the bits of data from various places that you need to bring it together and then charge off into the the battle of getting the reinsurance deal done right mm-hmm. you're you're straddling the insurance organization in the hope of being able to get everything you need to be able to get a good deal done yeah um, well, and then and then once those deals are done, we've talked previously about sort of post-placement analytics and these types of things. But once you've gotten all of your various purchases done, you want the ability to sort of look across um, that list and, and sort of understand where does it sit? What does it mean? How, how are our relationships developing with key partners? It might be a broker or a reinsurer. Um, where do those deals look like ours? Are we... Did we give everyone what kind of what they want? Because these are long-term partnerships. So you, you're just, you're sort of wrestling with this data challenge and complexity at the front and the burdens of that. But then you're also simultaneously trying to manage the relationship components of of these deals and the partners you have between seedants and or the brokers and the reinsurers. And so you're trying to do those two things concurrently, which is also a bit of a, a delicate dance, I think. Absolutely. And I think especially now in the market conditions we've highlighted, the ability to horse trade a bit and mm-hmm. leverage your knowledge of not just one treaty, but the entire book that you're placing is quite critical, right? You need to be able to say to a, a reinsurer or help your broker be able to have those kind of key little fact points. Like, mm-hmm. And you do know that this sedent brings you a ton of casualty business, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, if you want to keep the... A foot in the game there doing helping them out on the property cap might not be such a bad idea or on the motor etc yeah um, yeah it's, it's certainly a, a challenging role to do to do well but yeah. we, we've been impressed by the courage and resilience of seeded re teams the market wide what we, what we should do in a future episode is is bring like a seeded re buyer and we know we had gads come in and talk about it from that lens before but bring someone in who's doing that job currently and and talk about those market conditions. And as you sort of alluded to earlier, the world in which we live is getting unbelievably complex with the variety of things happening seemingly all the time across various geographies. And when you're buying reinsurance on a global basis, like you have to account for all of it. And, you know, the complexity of those roles versus you're a small regional monoline carrier your universe is probably a little bit more stable in what you're needing to address. So we should, it'd be really, really fascinating to to bring someone like that in and just sort of dig into what their year looks like. What do these renewal seasons look like and feel like? Because I think that'd be something that'd be interesting for people to hear. Absolutely. We'll have to earmark one of those for the future. So email us if you are a seated rebuyer with your hand in the air, jumping up and down, shouting, I want to be on the podcast, like many of our famous guests, guests before. As in many of our famous guests before have jumped up and down. <laughs> yeah. Or were they famous after the podcast or before the podcast? That's a good question. Yeah. We're not known as the kingmakers or the star makers for, <laughs> for another without reason, right? Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. All right, everyone. Well, until next time.
Enjoy your spreadsheets, seated three teams. <laughs> See you soon. <laughs>